It's amazing what we are in Christ versus what we are in us. Man, if I didn't have me, I would be so much farther up the road. And since I've been knowing most of you folks a long time, y'all would be too. But we're stuck in this type of a situation until the body change, aren't we? But I'm so glad that he looks not only at our humanity. I told you I've been going through oneness with God in 1962 and Brother Branham talking in there about the perfection of God and how the bride is in Christ. And then after such a profound paragraph describing that place, he says, now you'll always have your mistakes. You're always going to have them. And you think, wow, thank God for a man that could balance the word. That could be able to help you be seated in such a heavenly position in Christ Jesus in your soul, but help you in your humanity to where you don't become so discouraged that you think, I ain't got nothing. How in the world could I have anything when the Word says this and this and look at me and my failures and my mistakes? Aren't you glad for such a Word? Amen. God bless you. We greet you tonight in the name of the Lord. Are you happy to be in the house of God? Privilege for us and honor. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would, verse 1 to 9. I know we've been looking at this for several weeks, but we'll just stay on it till the Lord tells us to go otherwise. Hopefully I'll try to move a little faster than Brother Branham did. He kept Job on the ash heap for, what was it, a year or two or something like that. And somebody finally wrote him a letter. Are you ever going to get Job off that ash heap? And apparently there's some folks who needed to kind of smell the ashes, I guess. Needed to kind of know that God loved them. Second <clears throat> um, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I find it amazing when you go to look at prophetic writing and prophetic utterance, the things that God could say and the things that God chose to say. I want you to notice the first four words of verse 2. For men shall be. For men shall be. So now we're not looking at atomic bombs hydrogen bombs. We're not looking at the Nazi regime. We're not looking at um, any of those types of things that Paul is fixing to focus us on. But what he wants to point our focus and our direction on is people, humanity. So he said, the last days will come and there'll be perilous times, hard to deal with, very difficult, strenuous, and all that sort of thing. Then he directs our attention right on the very thing he wants to look at, and he says, for men shall be. Now, this is not just the male gender, of course, but it's men and humanity. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, he didn't use the word cigarettes. He didn't use the word whiskey or beer or gin, alcohol, marijuana, drugs, He could have used those words. Now, no doubt Paul never even heard the word marijuana, more than likely. They didn't have televisions in them days. They didn't have many of the things that we've got today. 
but he's speaking prophetic. So the Spirit of God could have had him to write down a word, T-E-L-E-V-I-S-I-O-N. Paul said, what in the world is that? What is that? What is marijuana? What is cocaine? What is? But God could have easily said it. But God actually said it in a veiled form. Because you see, marijuana, cocaine, drinking, uh, all these things come from what? Men being lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. So in these words chosen by the Spirit of God lays every dictatorship. It lays every political scheme, every crooked voting that's taken place down through time. And it's been over and over again. And it all lays where? All the political thing lays where? Right in here. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Well, Brother Donnie, why, why didn't he write about, you know, the great things of the end time? He did. He wrote about the source of those great things. So did a hydrogen bomb just jump out of a laboratory? Did an atomic bomb just one day just kind of evolve out of some stuff the way people believe in evolution? This messy matter kind of plopped out of a murky pond somewhere, and that was the first brand of life? Well, if you believe that, then you could probably believe an atomic bomb could jump out of two or three tubes. Where did an atomic bomb come from? The mind of people anointed by the devil. And Satan loves these type of people. Christians would have never made atomic bombs. Christians would have never made Uzis or machine guns, silencers. Why does a Holy Ghost feel Christian need a silencer on a rifle? Tell me, why does, does Christians need any of these destructive things? They don't. Christians are not these type of people. Now, what's this? He said, they'll be without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the dunamis, the power thereof, from such turn away. I mean, I'd like to be remembered tonight as we pray, just ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, we so love you tonight. We're thankful, Lord God, that you have anointed your servants ahead of time, that they would be inspired to write words that would no doubt part of what Paul wrote. He saw an element of it in his day. But yet, prophetically, the main impact of this was going to happen in the last days. And we truly believe we are in that time. We count it an honor, Lord Jesus, to be living in this day. It's a great day. It's a day of trouble. We know all of that. But it's a golden age when the light has never been shining so bright. I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. 
Help us, Father, not to, in our minds, as we go to reading these scriptures and looking at the meanings of these words, help us not to think in our minds that we are not these people. This has nothing to do with us. We could never be these people. I find it a great, great thing that Paul would be led of the Spirit of God to go down this direction. If he would have said that they would have been smoking marijuana or drinking whiskey, many of us would have turned these verses off immediately. And many of those sins are visible to the outside. But much of what Paul is writing about is hidden sins of the heart. Lord God, help us, I pray. Speak to us from your great word in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said... God bless you. You may be seated. Let's look back again tonight, if we can, for just a few minutes in this uh, verse 3. Without natural affection, truce breakers, people that actually love to argue, truce breakers, people that on no account will make peace, people that actually get a thrill out of arguing and debating and fussing and so on. And then Paul uses the word false accusers. Now, whenever you read this action in the Greek, both false and accuser is exactly the same word. So in the English, when the translators went to translating it, it didn't quite make sense in the English language. It would be like saying Diablos to us. We wouldn't even understand what Diablos was without the meaning of it. So the English translators used the word false in order to describe what Diablos was. So it was the Greek word here, Diablos, which means devil, slanderer, prone to slander, or accusing falsely. So the English translation rendered it then not only a Diablos, but a false Diablos. Now when you look at this, it's an ideal meaning of the very one who was the first slanderer on the earth. We're we're not told really too much of what Satan preached to the angels in heaven. We know that he preached to them and exalted himself above them. And there must have been something that was being said. We don't even know how many meetings, if I can say it that way, that he had in heaven. But he went over in the north side and he began to exalt himself above the stars, the angels of God, and he began to preach to them. No doubt in preaching to them, there was an element of maybe truth in what he was saying, because he always mixes lies with truth. But the first person that he began to slander and falsely accuse must have been the first person that he accused when he come on the earth and started slandering on the earth. Who was that? God. You see, the first slanderer on the earth was actually the person of Satan in the form of a serpent. So he brings up a slander to Eve, 
the woman. Now, he knows not to approach Adam, but he approaches the byproduct. He's going to present this slander. He's going to take the promise of the day, and he's going to try to confuse her on the promise of the hour. He does not take Noah's message, Moses' message, even the message of John the Baptist, the message of the Lord Jesus, but he takes the message that was given to them in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said, thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden. Oh, he said, well, the, the Lord said that we shall not, we shall eat of every tree except for the tree which is in the midst of the garden. And the serpent said unto the woman, God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, you shall be as gods. So what's he doing? He's taking the truth and mixing it and misrepresenting God's character. So he's actually slandering God to Eve. Now, that would have had no effect on her at all until she receives that slander. Now, when she receives that slander, then she actually becomes a transporter of the devil's lie. Now, if you haven't listened to that message, Oneness with God, you'll find Brother Branham saying in there that no person, here it is, he said, no person can receive the devil's lie until first they reject God's truth. Now, Satan is going to slander God. He wants to slander his word. He wants to slander his person. Now, he's trying to represent God that God's keeping something from them. God knows if you eat of this, you'll be like God's. Somebody tell me what they were. But you see, he is trying to convince them that God is keeping something from them. Look what the spies done when the Bible said in Numbers 13 that they slandered the land. So how did they slander it? They use misrepresentation and lies mixed with truths. And then they slandered the land. Then here was all of these people who went to their tents that night and they began to repeat the slander that these messengers said. So they heard what they had to say, and by the time Joshua and Caleb spoke, the slander had already went through the camp And these people, listen to me carefully now, the slander, the reason that the majority of these prophet-following people listened to what the slanderers had to say was because they were more identified with slander than they were with truth. You see, this is why the slander and lies and, and things like that can have such an effect upon people because people's soul who is not originally from the very source of truth, their own nature will cater towards slander and evil and wrongdoing and unbelief quicker than it will the revelation of God. 
Now watch that here Satan is represented on the earth then, and Paul uses this word diablos, which is the devil himself, a title used for Satan. So then a, a person that would be, I ain't talking about a person now getting into a trap. And they, you know, maybe they get around to slander and they get under the influence of slander and they go to repeating things they shouldn't repeat and they feel checked in their heart and they feel really bad about it. That person really by nature is not a slanderer, but they got under the influence of Diablos. They got under the influence, but there are those that are Diablos. They're not under the influence they are the devil. Whew, Lord, mercy. You say that's mighty strong. I intended for it to be. You see, Jesus looked at those men in St. John 8, and he said, ye are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, you will do. So these were not men that he's speaking to that were making mistakes. A lot of difference between a person making mistakes and people acting out the nature of their father. You see, Paul is not saying that in the last days there will be children of God that will get under a, a spirit and they will become fierce and then they will repent. And, you know, we, that goes without saying in the sense that every human being has this element of us, which is the animal nature, which is not yet born again. So any of these things our human nature can lean toward. But mainly, Paul is focusing on those whose nature are these traits that we have read about. These people in the book of Numbers, they actually had no representation in the land. And there must come something before they come to the threshold or the breach of crossing over. Something that will try them. So this is why God allowed Dathan Korah, Abiram, Balaam. God allowed all that false move to come in the prophet's following and allows them to be proven that they had no representation in the land. Now you look around and see in our message and see, has there been a falling away? Of course, and it's been in different phases and cycles, and we are in a falling away ourselves. Now for many people that don't know the Bible, they look at it and they become greatly discouraged, and it's simply because they don't know the Bible, because if they knew it very well, they would know that it is the last phase before the climax of the third pull when the falling away is the crescendo or the, tap, the capping off of God's grand finale. It was the falling away of the followers of the Lord Jesus. Whenever he's fixing to be crucified, that was his great crowning achievement. It was the falling away of people leaving Paul that it was the crowning achievement that he's fixing to go into his, in his great reward. Same with Moses, same down through the cycle of the ages. But those who are unlearned, and really I hate to say it, but ignorant in reality, they look at it and think, oh my, it's a sign of weakness. <laughs> it's not a sign of weakness at all. It's a sign of honing. 
It's a sign of honing. You see, that little small capstone cannot fit down here and whenever the pyramid's this big. It cannot fit when it's this big or this big or this big. It has to keep on being honed and honed and honed and honed until it comes right down to such a minority that the capstone will set right down. There'll be nothing hanging over on the edges. Now God is known for years and years and years that we've had too many around the message. <laughs> God is known for years and years we've had men in the pulpit that supposedly that were preaching the message and the message would only be a springboard to them to get a following. And then after they were out so far, then they would turn and go their own direction and use their influence and their following to pull people away from the message. And some of the message people are ignorant enough to follow. And what does that prove? It proves that those message people who follow them were not born again. They were just message followers and not followers of the Lord Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. And they went out from us because they were not of us. Is that what your Bible says? So then one of the things that Satan has always used then is slander. And it can come in a very treacherous, fierce form. And Paul himself had already experienced this slander, but there was a degree that Paul knew would not be reached even in his day. And of course, the Catholic Church would come to the Spanish Inquisition and all the different Inquisitions that was down through time, and they would slander the real children of God. They would accuse them of being witches and wizards, and they would do all of these things. What was that slander? So you see, when people get under slander, whenever people would desire to actually, there would be people that would rejoice and be so happy if our church was forced to be shut down. There would be people that would rejoice if I died tonight in the pulpit with a heart attack or Brother Darrell died or some of the message preachers that they hate so bad. They're so cruel and they become so animalistic that they would actually rejoice and laugh to hear of men of God that trauma or great terrible things happen to them. Why? Because they have entered into their teeth gnashing damnation. They have entered into their, they're getting a reflection of their judgment before they leave this world. They are already souls imprisoned now. You see, anyone who claims to have the Holy Ghost cannot rejoice over someone that having cancer or sickness or trouble or whatever more. And if you do, anybody sitting here listening to the sound of my voice tonight, let me tell you, you're under the influence of an evil spirit and it's not the Holy Spirit. The prophet of God tells us that you may differ with a brother. He said, but if you hear something bad happen to that brother, it would break your heart. And if it don't make you feel that way, you're not born again, friend. You're only fooling yourself and you're deceived. Well, praise the Lord. 
Now, Paul had already been slandered so much, and Paul was slandered greatly, of course, by the Jews. And then after he had come into the gospel and started preaching the gospel, then many of the Jewish believers, they took up their position. Uh, They felt like it was a personal agenda on their part to start slandering Paul as well. So they took Paul's letters and his writings and they would go through them. Now listen carefully. They would go to read them and they would go through them and they would pick out certain words and they would try to take Paul's words and then they also started writing letters. So they would follow. It's amazing how the devil is never the original missionary, but the devil goes in behind the original ones who start the work. He always does the same thing. So then then he started sending these Judaizers, which came in behind Paul, and they would go to the cities where Paul and Silas went, or Paul and Barnabas, and then they would try to find the Jews, and then they would take Paul's statements, and then they would slanderously misrepresent what Paul was saying. Now, watch this. So they were Diablos. Romans chapter three, verse seven. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory. Now here these people were accusing Paul of being a liar and saying my lie unto his glory. Why yet am I also judged as a sinner? So here were these people that were going about saying that Paul was a sinner. They were accusing Paul of being a liar. They were accusing Paul of horrendous things. Watch in this next verse. And not rather as we be slanderously reported. Now this word here is a little different word. It is blasphemo, which is blaspheme, speak evil of, rail on, to speak reproachfully, rail at, or revile. As we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say. Now notice what he's saying. Then there are some that is taking my words and they are saying that I'm saying this. Let us do evil that good may come. Now any of you that know the Pauline epistles, you know that Paul never said anything close to such stuff. But they were taking Paul's quotes and they were twisting it around and misrepresenting what Paul was saying. Now, who were they aiming this at? Paul's followers. Wake up, everybody. So they are trying to slander their messenger. Why? If they can get the followers of Paul, if they can discredit him or get the followers of Paul to doubt the authentication of this man being a prophet of God, then you'll throw Romans away, Galatians away, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians. Because remember, most of these things that Paul is writing, he is the only man in the New Testament Testament that's saying these words. So how are we going to check him out by the Bible? So if we want to check Paul out, how can we check out some of the things that Paul wrote in the New Testament? Matthew never said it. Mark never said it. Luke never said it. Peter never said it. Moses never said it. I wish anybody would say amen. How are we going to take, are we going to be able to prove him by the Bible? Ah, you see, it's a good thing some of us didn't live in the first century. 
Some of you wouldn't have believed Paul a bit more than you believe the prophet of your age. Now remember, I ain't just talking to the visible audience here. You see, the same spirit that's on many people today would be the very same thing that was on these scribes and Pharisees in the days of Paul. So they took Paul's quotes. What were them that day? They were letters, right? So it was not called the Holy Bible. It was a letter to the church at Thessalonica. A letter to the church at Ephesians. Well, you imagine so many people say, well, how are we going to know if this is true or not? This is just this one man's word for all these things. Look at all these things that he said about predestination. Well, where does Moses mention the word predestination? Where, where did Jeremiah mention the word predestination? Where did Ezekiel mention the word predestination? Come on, Happy Valley. Well, are, are we going to take this one man? Well, how are we going to know if this one man is speaking the truth or not? Because we follow God's guidelines of how God said he would vindicate a man's ministry. So if those who are trying to pull us away from the message and trying to deliver us from the so-called bondage that we're under, then they should have more of God in their midst than we do in ours. Uh, The Bible tells me that God worked with them with signs and wonders following. So if men are sent to lead us from the error of the message, then I'll have this question for you. If God be with you, where are your miracles? The only thing you have is the power of a blabbermouth. Motor mouse is what you have. No power to heal the sick, no power to cast out devils, and you want us to leave a church that's alive, a church that casts out devils, a move of God, which has supernatural vindication of God, and follow a bunch of beer-drinking, men-short-wearing, bobbed-haired Jezebel women? You want me to leave this and follow you? Go jump in the lake. Go fly a kite on a snowy day. No, thank you. We've got a living God in our midst. We've got a God that still heals. We've got a God, hallelujah, that still manifests himself and still moves among his children. Don't give me your words. Give me your proof. Preachers included. The preachers that have backslidden left this word, let them stand and do likewise. How many of them ever had any supernatural anyway? Well, glory. Now notice, Paul says that they were slandering by saying, let us do evil that good may come. Now friends, this is absolutely a lie. So they were twisting what Paul said. Now listen what Paul says in reaction to what they said. Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So here is this man indicting these people and saying their damnation. How could he do such a thing Handling as if though they have already stood 
before the white throne, rendering their judgment and saying their damnation is just. It's a serious thing when we go to handling God's Word. You see, the Jews were very instructed from the oral law and the written law as far as judging and having witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 and many places, if you're familiar with it. And if someone brought an accusation against a fellow Jew, a fellow Israelite, they had to do it by two or three witnesses. And then if there was uh, a working together of this man and this man and that man, and they wanted to get this man, so they all agree together, and they are a false witness, and they agree, we're going to get this guy. We're going to get him, and we're all going to agree. Now, they're going to bring an accusation against this man. And according to the law of Moses, whatever they're trying to get to happen to this man, if they're wanting him to get killed, if they're wanting his hand to be cut off, whatever it is that they're wanting to happen to this man, if they get caught in their falsehood, the judgment they were trying to bring upon this innocent man will be brought on all three of them. Amen. Notice this in Exodus 23, 1. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Proverbs 14, 5. A faithful witness will not lie but a false witness will utter lies. Matthew 15, 19. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries. Wow, from the heart? From the heart? Fornications, thefts, false witness. You mean the Lord Jesus would put false witness in with adultery and fornication and blasphemy? This is how God looks at us bearing false witness against one another or against a servant of God or against a prophet of God. Praise the Lord. False witness, blasphemies. Notice this in Matthew 26, 59. This is at the, uh, prior to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Now, the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus. Huh. So instead of waiting until he was determined to be false, they had already rendered their judgment. And one's going to get witnesses that would verify it. Do you understand your Lord Jesus as far as according to the law of the Jews and of the Romans? He was condemned and crucified on the grounds in this jurisdiction of false witnesses. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council. Now this covers quite a spectrum of people. Chief priests and the elders and the council, the council here, of course, is the Hebrew word Sanhedrin, which we call Sanhedrin. But it is the chief priest, which was Annas, 
Caiaphas. And remember, one was the father-in-law, the older, and the younger was the son-in-law. But both of them were Sadducees. And they were very sad, you see. Because Jesus had preached the resurrection. And he had also raised people from the dead. So they couldn't stand the move of God with any life in it. So they, oh my, they absolutely were waiting for the opportunity to condemn this man. So they were going to do it and they were going to get witnesses that would be able to comply with their agenda. According to the law of Moses, they can't even have this trial even legally. According to their own dictates of their own writings, they could not even have it at nighttime. They could not have one witness in the night. They also had to bring in someone who would represent the accused to counter question the witnesses to check their validity and value of truth. Now, if I was you, I'd be really, really careful how I condemn these sad you sees. And check yourself real close and see if you haven't given ear to some slander, maybe some gossip. You might find yourself in a pretty tough spot yourself. Well, here we go. Carol asked me Thursday, I think it was, said, are you done with that on slander? I said, I hope and pray to God I am. Yes, as far as I know. Sorry, sweetie. Notice this, and now the chief priests and the elders and the council sought. Notice what they sought for. Not truth. Not honesty. Not integrity. And these are the great spiritual leaders of the day. So if this was the leaders, you can imagine what the people were. So they actually sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. Now the tense of this Greek verb here implies a continued process of seeking. So first, they resolve to ruin him. They resolve to kill him. They resolve to get rid of him. Then they seek false accusation or witnesses by which they can put him to death. They're not interested in the truth. Mark 14, 56. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. So here we've got one that said this and one that said that and one that said this and one that said that and one that said this and one that said that and every one of them, none of them agreed and said the same thing. According to their own laws, they should have crucified every one of them liars. But they didn't want to crucify them liars. They wanted to train them liars and tell them what to say. Now remember Jesus said, if they did this in a green tree, what will they do in the dry? Watch this again in verse 57. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him saying, we heard him say, Now, I want you to notice where all of their witnessing focuses on. Uh 
It's not healing, signs, wonders, miracles. What is it? Quotes. Quotes. So they're taking his words and cutting them and misapplying them, misrepresenting them under the anointing of Diablos. Lord have mercy, children. I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't want to stand in these folks' shoes right here in this scripture for nothing in this world. Now watch what they do. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now Jesus had said this three years prior to this. But some of them had a pretty good memory. But they misapplied what Jesus had said. Now, of course, they're looking to the great temple out there that Herod had built, and it took 46 years to build it. You remember it? And Jesus, the Bible said, Jesus spake of the body of his temple. So they took what he said, but misrepresented what he said. Why? Why? Because to speak anything against the temple, according to the rabbis, was blasphemy. So they have to read into his words something that'll make it sound like blasphemy. So they take his quote and read it through to misapply it, misrepresent it, so it'll be a charge worthy of death. Do you understand where these people are tonight? In the regions of the lost. They have been there for thousands of years, crying, moaning, screaming, gnashing their teeth. And this is only the start of it. My friends, it is so dangerous. It is so dangerous when we go to taking words and misrepresenting them and chopping them, especially prophets. Oh, my. Notice this. Stephen. Boy, you folks think I'm a hard preacher? Whew. I was reading his sermon today, and I started sweating bullets. And they sitting down there just, whew. Acts chapter 6, verse 10. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, some of these folks that want to debate and argue, and they think that God called men are afraid to meet with them and debate with them and argue with them. They're afraid. They think that men of God are afraid that these great learned theologians will put them to shame. It's actually the other way around. I would feel sorry for you. Meeting with any Holy Ghost feel, God call man. Cause he's got a gift and he's got a new birth. And he's got an anointing 
that you and all of your wisdom could never meet up to. So it wouldn't even be fair for him to meet with you. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit. Notice, he wasn't sent to some Bible school. He wasn't some great theologian. This man is a deacon. Then they so burned men. Look at this word, to instruct privately, instigate, to bribe, or induce someone unlawfully or secretly to perform some misdeed or commit a crime, to induce a person, especially a witness, to give false. Ah. So this is the type of people that they had become. Now remember, this were the religious elite of that day. And what's amazing is that Brother Bram tells us that these people were sons of God up till the time the Lord Jesus came. Now, sons of the Torah. They were not born again, we know that. Sons of the Torah. Sons of the law, which is what they call themselves. Sons of the Torah. And they were in a a much better standing than the majority of the world until greater light came. And once greater light came, this is what they turned into. Can you imagine the wives of some of these men? Can you imagine the mothers, the fathers, the grandchildren of some of these men as these people turned into animals? They turned into beasts. And at one time, they were considered to be the most religious. They were so devout. They were so holy until Jesus came. And they turned mean. They turned wicked. They turned liars. They turned rotten. Lord, have mercy, children, for your own soul's sake. Don't never turn down this truth. Well, you say, I'll never do that, and you ain't got no choice. You see, once you turn and walk away from the truth, and you walk to a certain spot, you lose your choice. Your choice was forfeited when you crossed the line. And they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. And against God. Now you know Stephen never said any such thing. Again, where is Stephen's representation to have someone question these witnesses? Praise the Lord. What's what they're doing? And they stirred up. The geese and the donkeys and the horses and the cows. Who? And the elders and the scribes came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. Which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this. Uh Uh-oh, 
Now they're bringing him to the same place they brought the Lord Jesus, you see. Oh, we want to heal the sick like him. We want to cast out devils like him. Why? It's much more glory for your name to be associated with somebody walking or somebody's eyes come open that was blind than it is for your name to be cast out as evil being persecuted for the truth. Now, most of us, including me, do not consider that very glorious. But let me say you something right here, friend. This is the final phase of Stephen's ministry. It didn't last very long. But it was a phase in so much that they began to treat him in the same way that they treated the Lord Jesus. Come on, bride. Come on, bride. Oh my, they set up false witness which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Now you see, they interwoven this with an element of truth. But people hear what they want to hear. So you imagine, boy, when they said this holy place, and they said Moses, and they said our tradition, boy, that's all they wanted to hear. That's all they needed. Oh, God, speak to us, Lord. What do they do? They receive these accusations against this man, just like they did the Lord Jesus. What's this? Then Paul goes on to say again in 2 Timothy 3, 3, that they will be false accusers. They will be incontinent. So literally, it means without strength to refuse or resist the solicitations or temptations of passion and lusts. So this is one of the signs of the end time. They will be without self-control. So when they say, well, the devil made me do it, some of them is actually telling the truth in the sense that once they become so possessed, they have no more control of their house. The people here are represented as having no self-control or no self-restraint. Now watch how Paul sandwiches this in between the false accusers, the diablos, and the fierce. This is not just a haphazard way of arranging the Greek words, but it is to set them properly that they will be false accusers, they'll be slanders, they'll be diablos, and then they will move to a spot that they will lose self-control. And then once they do that, they will become fierce, animalistic. You see, their passions, their lust, their appetites will no longer be able to be disciplined. Their conscience, even though they know by their conscience, this ain't right, I shouldn't do it. It ain't right, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it. I don't want to do this, I don't want to do it. And they'll say it 5,000 times, but they wind up doing it anyhow. Why? They have no power within their soul to help them to overcome. And I'll tell you one thing, friends, you shout here tonight and say, Lord, I wish I'd see a miracle. If you've overcome this week, this is Wednesday, you're a miracle. 
We're living in a world, think of it, but many of the people of the earth that's living around us have no self-control. People murder, they lie, they rape, they do all the things that they do. Why? They have no self-control. We are living in an age and a society when people are under such demonic control that they have lost control themselves. Come, Lord Jesus. Notice so he says, they'll be diablos. Then they will be incontinent. They won't have self-control. And then they will turn into this further existence of being fierce. No gentleness. Cruel. Savage. It's also rendered untamed, brutal, violent. Sounds like our protest. Imagine some of our mayors and some of our governors and some of our city officials out protesting thinking it's all right. And they want to shut us down having church. But it's all right for all kinds of people to gather together and be shoulder to shoulder and protest and do this and that and the other. Come on. It's all right for strip clubs to be open, but you can't open the church. It's all right for bars to be open, but you can't open the church. Come on, children. We understand enough about the devil to know that he's used this epidemic to be able to flex his political muscles, to be able to show us what he can do. Well, God's flexed his muscles and showed the devil what he can do. Anyhow, we've streamed, we've kept on serving God, we've kept on believing God, and we're going to continue to do so. So let the devil do whatever he wants to do, but our God is always many, many steps ahead of the devil. So their way will become fierce in that they'll become like savage beasts. So they'll despise what is good and honor that which is evil. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And yet they will be rendered into such a state that they will be considered fierce. Now this is not a word that you'd think that should apply to a human being because it is an adjective that is used to describe animals. Notice now the sermon of Stephen, Acts chapter seven, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have your fathers, have not your fathers persecuted? So folks who persecute the prophet today belong to the same tribe, anointed with the same tribe of demons. And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Boy, can you imagine one of these modern day preachers if he would have been speaking to the elders and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and he'd stood up there and him, man, with him with his college education and with his degree and smiling from ear to ear. And if it'd been the smiley preacher from you know where, he would have stood up there and he wouldn't have wanted to offend nobody. So he wouldn't have said and he would not call any man a murderer or any man a liar. He ain't got a bit more business in a pulpit than a rooster. A God could use a rooster more than he can use a yellow a bat preacher, a coward that ain't got no gumption enough to stand and dwell. Come on, church. 
and you imagine Stephen. You see, friend, this is the thing that people don't understand about preaching. They do not understand why God would anoint men to sometimes preach so harsh because there's something about preaching like this that brings Satan to his fierce opposition and shows his true colors. It's never the gentleness. It's never the easiness. It's never rubbing people on the head that does that. It's when you rub the fur the wrong way. Notice when Stephen does it, I know people think it's the preacher. If a man's anointed by the Holy Ghost, be careful when you go to saying things about that. If it's the Spirit of God anointing that man to say that, you'll get in bad trouble because it ain't the man, it's the Holy Ghost. To call the works of the Holy Ghost an evil thing is blasphemy. Notice this man. I mean, he's ripping them up one side and down the other. He said they're stiff-necked, they're uncircumcised. He called them betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Oh, my goodness. You're going to stand there and tell us we've not kept the law? You have not kept it. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But I want you to notice, glory to God, it depends on who you are. You see, some people can hear the word and it will trample up one side of them and down the other. There's tire tracks on this side, plumb over the top of their head, messed up their hair going down. I mean, they're run slap over and when it cuts them to the heart, but they don't get mad. Oh, their old flesh might. But down in their soul, they say, thank you, Lord God. I needed to hear that, Lord. Thank you. You love me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the truth. But not these people. That truth cut them to the heart. And when it cut the heart open, it found a savage beast. And it released the beast from their souls. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. You're going to tell me this is people in the right minds? You see, they were sawn asunder. They were open. They were so pricked. And what was it? This hard, straight, name-calling preaching. Leave it in generalities. You don't make folks mad. But bring it on down where you almost call their name and so plain that you don't have to. That's what stirs them up. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Friends, do you understand? Gnashing of the teeth is the curse of the damned. Lord God. You see, there is a proverbial use of the gnashing of the teeth. And they would chatter their teeth. It was a sign of anger. You know, in Africa, whenever they get real happy and people are baptizing and singing words, the sisters will do it. I mean, I've been there and heard hundreds of them. 
But this was a proverbial use of discontent. But these people broke beyond the proverbial use of just gnashing their teeth. And they actually gnawed on this preacher. Notice in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, which were the Jews, shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here were these people acting out the curse of the damned souls imprisoned. So people lying, false accusing, the prophet of God, trying to make him look like a deceiver, this, that, and the other. What is it? Gnashing of their teeth. The curse of the damned. Chapter, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. What is it? Brute passion. They, something so struck the heart that these stern words, notice, not easy, smooth talking, genteel way of saying it. Say it over the top of their head where you're burning their hide and they don't know you're burning them and they sit there and smile at you. That's a yellow-bellied coward that uses his intellect. Come on, children. Jesus called them snakes and vipers and all kinds of things. So John the Baptist. <laughs> oh my. Their fury was riled by what? Stern, hard preaching. And it throwed them into a state that they were fierce, incontinent, despisers of those that are good. You see, for a bit, they entered into a stage of insanity. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar, whenever he refused to give glory unto God and God allowed the man's mind to slip. His fingernails grew out like the claws of a bird, his toenails, and he was down on his all fours and, and acted like an animal. Think of it. You're only one thought away from acting like a goat or a dog or a sheep or a vulture. One day he sat out there and looked at himself and thought he was a mighty king and almighty God simply touched his intelligence and one thought changed this man till he acts like an animal. My God. I want you to notice what a contrast. These people have tapped into their destiny. They've tapped in to their future home. And while they were tapped into their future home, Stephen tapped into his. Glory to God. Verse 55. But he, being full 
of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. People gnashing on him with their teeth. Why wasn't he down there, oh, poor little me, poor little this, poor little that? All of a sudden, it depends on what you do with it. We can take our persecution, we can take the things we go through and feel so sorry for ourselves, or we can say, oh, God, help me to bear it. Help me, Lord, to be a faithful servant of you. I want it, no, do you want it, no. But when God comes, let it come our way, we ought to be so happy, Brother Louis. I count it an honor to suffer reproach for the word of God. He looked up. What did he see? His future home. His destiny. Notice where he looked from. Notice how that Luke, when Luke wrote this, you know Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. Why? He was full of the Holy Ghost. What was in his heart? to where? Not to hell. Not to the regions of the lost. What was in him tapped into heaven. What was in them tapped to the gnashing of the teeth in the regions of the lost. Oh my, oh my. This is why friends, we don't want hatred. We don't want envy. We don't want strife. We don't want jealousy. Why? That's not of heaven. It's of hell. My, we could stop right here and preach a sermon just on this verse. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand. Notice, not beside, but on the right hand of God, which is the symbol of God's majesty and strength. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You see, it all depends on where you're from, how what you will do with the sermon. So it depends on where you're from, you see. For some, it makes you want to gnash. The only reason some folks don't gnash on my flesh is because they think it make them sick to their stomach. But they get mean enough, they get hateful enough, they hate preachers enough, Holy Ghost filled preachers, they hate them enough. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, if they didn't think it'd make them sick, they'd sure like to do it. But what do I see when I preach it? I see the gates have flung open to the city. And it won't be long, brother, that we're going to march through. But it's going to take good, hard preaching. That's why I love whenever you can sit there and a man of God preaches all over you. It feels so good that that word just opens your heart. And what do you find? You don't find a snake. You don't find a copperhead. You don't find a rattlesnake. You don't find hate in your heart for the man of God. But you say, Lord, search me. Lord God, if I've done anything wrong, what have you done? You have looked heaven in the face. How did you do that? You looked in your soul and you saw the positive heaven in you anchoring back there. You don't look for a stone to stone him. You don't look for a reason to try to de- oh my to defame him. But you look for an altar where you can repent. Oh my. 
Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, which means they took their fingers in their ears and put them in their ears like this. They refused to hear any more of this blasphemy. He's having a heavenly revival. He's having a time. And it's killing them. It's making them so mad. Isn't it amazing what just blesses you and what blesses so many people? And others hear the same sermon and tear it to pieces. And oh my goodness, makes them matter to horn it. Here you go. It is scriptural. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You see, Jesus had already given warning of this. In St. John 16, 2, they shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father. Isn't that amazing? These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. So you see, when people do this to us, they think they're doing it to us. It's not me. It's not you. It's the Father. Oh, Lord Jesus. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's what I say when I call on God. He didn't call on one of the gods. He called on God, and he knew his name was the Lord Jesus. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can you imagine the last words to come out of his mouth? Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So he fell asleep. He entered in his theophany and his body simply fell asleep. You imagine after they come to themselves and if the demons backed out of them for a little bit, And when that anointing, that demonic anointing left them like the man in the tombs. You see, it's not not normal for people to act like this. It's not normal for a human to murder another. It's not not normal for a man to murder his wife and kids or mother to murder her, her children or, you know, any of that. It's not normal. But people will get under such demonic control. I get their minds blown with drugs and alcohol. And they get out of there. Then that spirit will take them over. And they will do it when they come out. They'll say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember doing that. If a prophet of God enters that supernatural realm and don't even remember what your name was, but he'll have to go back and listen to the tape. 
Don't you see that Satan does the same thing? He will take people in the supernatural realm and they will fulfill Satan's will. And when they come up, then who is it that's tried? The devil don't go to the court and be thrown in prison. It's that human tabernacle. That demon got inside that body and a man slit his wife's throat and the two kids. And you read about it all the time, horrific stuff that animals wouldn't even do, children. Animals would not even do what people are doing in this day. What is it? Demonic possession. Demons that are getting inside of people. Oh God. But at the same time, what are they doing? They're looking hell in the face. The gates are opening up. And while they're looking at hell, we're looking up this way. While the world is bombarded and the fear is everywhere. People are scared. This election has scared the liver out of people. Not just Republicans. People don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the outcome of it's going to be. Aren't you glad your hope is not in a Republican party or Democrat party? Our hope is in Jesus. I said our hope is in Jesus Christ. So whatever happens, amen, our God will always make sure his word will come to pass. Let's stand together. Oh my. Children, run to him with all your heart. With all your soul. Get under his wings. We're not trying to find a bomb shelter. Our place of protection is not concrete. Titanium. No. It's feathers. Feathers. Under the wings of our Father. As he stirs the nest to get us ready to leave this world. Oh, don't you want to be like him? I'm not just talking about you laying your hands on the sick and, and speaking in tongues. And we, we believe in all that. But when we're tried, when we're tested. You know, friends, we, we really don't know. I mean, Brother Brown makes it sound like sometimes that the bride will be shut down. And other times he says, they'll never shut her up, she'll be taken up. Amen. So sometimes you, you really wonder what we'll face. It may come to a spot to where a message preacher sermons will no longer be able to be broadcast. We already have all kinds of spies that listen anyway. I know that. They keep up with what I preach. We may have some sitting here. Well, I'd sure hate to sit in your, your shoes. Because what will it be at the day of judgment when every one of us stand there and condemn you? It may come to a spot we can't stream no more. That we can't do none of that no more because the government listens and this and listens and that and listens. We done seen what they tried to do years ago with us. Oh, Brother Don, I'll be so scared. I'll be so terrified. No. No. We go to his wings. And we know our time is almost over. You see, the same God that anointed Stephen when people were biting his flesh, human beings biting another human's body, gnashing on him with teeth, and then, oh my, the blood running out of their mouths. You imagine them like wild dogs. Blood running out of their mouths and blood on their face and blood all over them. And then taking rocks and smashing his brains out and feeling some type of happiness. And these were the most religious people of the day. They turned into murderers. Hide me, Lord Jesus. 
Hide me, Lord Jesus. Oh, I'll never do that. Don't you say that on your own strength. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Say, by the grace of God, I will never do such. I never want to turn my back on him. Oh, my. I never want to become like this. My. This is my prayer. While they're gnashing on me and while they're stoning me. Let me just count it what it is. Just the chatter of the chipmunks. Yeah. When Brother Branham saw the eagle and the blowdown out there in the wilderness. He saw that great big eagle. And he saw that little chipmunk down there going around the eagle. Chatter, chatter, chatter. Chatter, chatter, chatter. Chatter, chatter, chatter. He said, finally, that big eagle just got tired of it and just one big flap of his wings. Just lift himself right up off the earth and set himself in the winds of the rapture. One of these days, the World Council will chatter, chatter. And YouTube will chatter, chatter. And others will chatter, chatter. And God will say to his bride, today is your going up morning. Praise God. And we'll just look around a little bit and say, so long, devil. And we'll set our wings in the winds of the rapture. Praise God. Fare you well, fare you well. Amen. Don't you want to be ready, friends? Don't let bitterness, don't let anger, don't let strife, jealousy, don't let nothing taint you. What are these things right here we've been reading? It's things of the heart. You see, it'd be very easy if someone come among us and they're still struggling with smoking. And we can see the yellow on their fingers and we can smell it, that they smell one before they, they come into church. They, they smoked and, and we can smell it on them. Or we can smell alcohol on somebody's breath. We can all know that. But some of these things are things that you can hide in your heart. Right? You can hide in your heart. Remember, bitterness, Paul identifies it as a root why root? Hidden down in the dirt. And it lays there in the dirt and it grows and it grows and it grows. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. So we, like Stephen, are able to look up and say, I see my future home, I see my reward which he's gone to purchase for me. I see a better day. I see a brighter world. I see a new world coming. Praise God. We're too earthly minded, friends. We get our minds so caught on these things here. How in the world could you look past teeth marks on your arms? Can you imagine some of these people reaching up and grabbing, putting their teeth up on his jaw and clamping down on his jaw, his hair, his head, his chin, his neck, blood running down his body. How can you move beyond the pain? How can you move beyond the humiliation? But he says, I see Jesus. I see the Son of Man. God help me. God help you. I mean, wants to be that kind of Christian. Can we bow our heads together? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, I must say 
before you and these people tonight. I need your help, Lord. God, that I can be this kind of a man. Oh, Father God, I think all of us could be honest and say our first choice would not be persecution or hatred. Or Most of us want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to be accepted at work and in the church that we go to and in our families. There's something in us. We long to be accepted. But you've called us to a message that is so hated and so despised. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to understand that we are only made accepted in the beloved Christ Jesus. And if you sent this man that we believe to be a prophet of God to the earth, even his enemies in the days when he was here, do not make the false charges against him that the people do now. And they rub shoulders with him. It's amazing how many of the Pentecostals are still making videos and referencing the anointing that was under him, he was under and saying it's going to come in the last days. How many Church of God, Assembly of God, Church of God of Prophecy that refers to this man that some of the former followers now hate? They can call it what they want, but they hate him and they hate his message and they hate us. And if they had the Holy Ghost, how could they hate? Lord God, we do not hate. We pray if there's any mercy, you would extend your hand, Father. That day when Stephen was there, there was an elect seed standing there, a young man by the name of Saul. Many of these defectors that have pulled away from the message, they quote Paul the Apostle, but in reality, they have the spirit of Saul of Tarsus, not Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus was the one who persecuted the elect. He never persecuted any elect after he was born again. So if we're persecuting folks, we're still under the anointing of Saul of Tarsus, not the Apostle Paul. Lord Jesus, help us. Search our hearts. All those that will stream, Lord, this service. May we look and see if there's anything in us, any mortal, that we could not pray for them. Lay not this sin to their charge. Or is there still some bitter resentment because this person, that person, this group, that church really brought a lot of pain to our lives? And when we think about them, we we get flush and we go to feeling anxiety within. We go to feeling really troubled. Help us, Father, to be honest. Help us, Lord Jesus, to make sure there's nothing in our hearts against anyone. We love you, Father. Make us like you, Jesus. Make us like you. May we love like you love. May we heal like you healed. May we be so much like you that we can be a Stephen. We can pray for those who despitefully use us. Grant it, Lord. May the world take note 
that we have been with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many counts it an honor to be with Jesus? To be with Jesus. Hallelujah. To be with Jesus. I flew on a flight some years ago and I got a free upgrade. I was going to Arizona. There was a man sitting by me in first class. And I noticed people kept coming up to him and wanting his autograph. I didn't know the man. I didn't know who he was. So I said, if you don't mind me asking, who are you? What's your name? I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you, but who are you? Well, he was a professional golfer. And after he told me who he was and what he did, I guess he wondered why I didn't want his autograph. (laughs) So my reply was, oh. And I'm not against golfing now, you brothers. But when I got off the plane, I was met at the airport by some real important people, sons and daughters of God. The world wouldn't know them. The world wouldn't make great accolades about them and want their autograph. But they're so important to heaven that when they pray, heaven listens. And when they're going through trials, heaven sends angels down to watch over them and strengthen them. When they're going through a hard trial, heaven will send their glorified body to church to meet them on Sunday morning and send their glorified state real close so they can stretch their jumper cables as it was over to that glorified condition to give a surge through them like a battery. CBS will never know them. NBC, CNN, all the rest of them will never know. But they make such special attention in heaven that when they got saved, the angels had a revival. They started rejoicing. You imagine on your rapture morning, all of heaven will enter into the final phase, seventh seal, third pull, and there'll come a hush over heaven as he steps in behind the curtain as it was and changes his garment from that of a priest to that of a king. What's he coming to do? Glory to God. He's not coming to get those that he's interceded for in bloody garments, but he's coming to take his queen by his side. Praise be to God. So I would rather be that than people want my autograph on the earth, wouldn't you? If I could go sit down with the president, the one in or the one coming, or if I could be invited as I was at the White House and Congress and all that sort of thing a couple years ago, out of there come the vice president. The vice president come walking down through there. I shook his hands right there at me. I took a picture of him, took a video of him. Brother Donnie, how how did it feel? Just felt like any other dirt bag. I've shook hands with much greater people. I'm not disrespecting him. I pray for, I go to church with, I eat with people of a much higher caliber. Heaven's remnant. Heaven's tithing. 
He loves you, children. He loves you. You believe that? Let's worship Him together. Remember what this season is all about. It's about Him coming to the earth to redeem us, to carry us away in heavenly wedlock, married to the eternal. Let's worship Him. Thank you, Jesus. Standing all within the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In whom the wisdom of the ages lies. In whom the raging of the sea subsides. Yes, Lord. The living sacrifice. My only source of life, my hope is in the Lord. From this time on and nevermore, oh, my hope is in the Lord.
Jesus, may every spirit out of hell will try to bind God's people. Your days are numbered, Satan. You have no hold over the people of God, house of hell. Give way to the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. There are people almost everywhere whose hearts are all aflame with the fire that fell at Pentecost burning now within my heart oh glory to his name i'm so glad i can say i'm one of them i'm one of them i'm one of them so glad i can say i'm one of them i'm one of them one of them Say 
Christmas present we got tonight. Do you appreciate the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Brother Darrell, come tonight if you would, buddy. Brother Darrell Ward, if you would come, offer thanks for this service tonight. We have been so privileged tonight. We have been so privileged to hear the word of God. Brother Darrell, I just want you to offer thanks. Certainly appreciate Brother Darrell, don't we? Amen. God bless you, buddy. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Lord. To know who we are. Lord, I remember when I was in the army. Station over in North Carolina, Lord. I was away from you. I'd drive right by this church on a Sunday afternoon. I'd see the people out in the parking lot. Lord, I felt so... I didn't feel worthy to be associated with those people. But then one day in an old building, I found out I was one of them, Lord. We want to thank you, dear God, for your mercy. We want to thank you for your grace that's been given unto us, Lord. And in this hour of darkness, thou hast shown thy light upon us, Lord. You have shown your face upon us, dear God. We are grateful, Lord, for the things that we have heard. First, truly, Lord, our desire is not to be like the world, nor look like the world, nor dress or act like the world. But truly, our desire, Lord, is to be like you, dear God, that our hearts would be one with yours, that our character would be one with yours, dear God, our motive and our objective and our desires would be all to please thee, Lord. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that's been given to us, Lord. Let the world laugh at us. Let them say what they want to say on YouTube, God. But one day, oh Lord, you'll lift us off this earth. And we'll gather under your wings and go home. For truly, Lord, there's no place like home. Bless your people tonight as they go home, Lord. May the things that we heard, may we meditate upon them, dear God. And may we strive to lay aside every weight, Lord, every motive, every objective that's contrary to your word, Lord. To surrender ourselves into your presence. That our lives, Lord, could be used that you could flow through us, Lord, to touch someone. 
that you could flow through us to heal someone. Yes. That you could flow through us, Lord, yes, Lord, to speak, to speak words of life to those who have no hope. Grant it, oh God, I pray tonight. Thank you for this wonderful presence. Thank yes. you for all you've done for us, Lord. Yes. What a mighty God you are. There is no God like you. There is no God like you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, draw me close. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place. 